want to share with you just a part of my story. Now, remember, this is for the youth. This is for you guys, for you, for you, for a couple of you, for the younger people that are around. Growing up as a Seventh-day Adventist, um, I was a part of a church that often preached fire and brimstone. And I remember one particular pastor who used to, uh, he didn't say it, but every December 31st, I thought Jesus was going to come on January 1. When I was a really young kid, he did this sermon about how our calendars are off, and it's really three years later, and if we followed this and this and this date, then eventually Jesus is supposed to come on this particular date. And I know you're not supposed to set dates. But somehow, some way, through this pastor's preaching, I thought that every January 1st that Jesus was going to come on that day. And all we were supposed to do is wait. Wait for Jesus. Jesus is coming soon. You have to wait for him. But what happens is when we wait, we don't do very many productive things, do we? When we're waiting for a vacation, when we're waiting for our friends to pick us up, when we're waiting for whatever it is, usually we just seem to kind of just wait. Maybe we watch TV. Maybe we meander through things. Maybe it's like, oh, I know I have one more week of school, and then we're going on vacation. Do you really pay attention that week of school? No. Because what are you doing? You're thinking about how fun that vacation is going to be. When we wait, what typically happens is we check out of what we're supposed to be doing. And so for me anyway, what I thought, or in my limited knowledge, was if Jesus is coming soon, then nothing else really matters. Um, Jesus is going to come long before I graduate from high school. So what did I do? I just, I waited. I mean, yeah, I went to school. I did what I was supposed to because that's what you're supposed to do, right? You go to school. You do all that stuff. But I never thought that I would see my senior year graduation. And when I graduated, I thought to myself, okay, well, that was luck. There's no way I am going to graduate from college. Jesus will surely come. So I went about my business and doing stuff and doing everything I was supposed to do. And then Jesus didn't come when I graduated from college. So I thought to myself, okay, Jesus will definitely come by the time I graduate from seminary. And as you can imagine, because we're all here this morning, Jesus hasn't come. And so I began to kind of get an understanding that my job in waiting for Jesus to come isn't for me to just kind of sit back and wait and meander through life, but rather that I'm supposed to take some sort of active participation in what God is doing now. What we call that is purpose. See, while I was waiting, I wasn't living with purpose. While I was waiting, I wasn't really thinking about how I'm going to make the world a better place because, after all, all the preachers have been telling us that the world is only getting worse and everything is getting worse and everything is getting bad. So why would me, I, little guy that I was, why would I try to do anything if everything was just going to hell? That's what most of us teach, right? Everything is just getting worse. And so what ends up happening as Christians, we kind of wash our hands from the situation and say, okay, well, things are getting worse. Jesus is going to have to come at some point. But I think that's not the biblical way of seeing the world. That's what I was taught, but it's not the right way. Everything in life has a purpose. I wish Edward was here this morning, by the way. Not that I don't love you guys, but for some reason they kept picturing in my head his belt buckle, the AC belt buckle that he wears. Because when I was preparing this message, I thought to myself, everything has a purpose. Ezio has a purpose. None of you adults will understand that. That's okay. But everything in life has a purpose. When you're playing that video game, the purpose is to find that thing at the end of it or to discover something that's just going to lead you to buy the next game. But that's besides the point because everything has a purpose. 
Every team that begins a season, whatever sport it is, has a purpose to win the championship. Even if they don't, even if they don't have a chance, that's still their goal, to win a championship. Everything in this world, for the most part, has a purpose. Puppies have a purpose. They're to be cute. Oh, man, that joke was funny in my head. <laughs> Laugh at me, not with me. I get it. But everything, ha- everything has a purpose. But what happens for Christians so much of the time is that that's taken away from us because we say, well, we're just waiting for Jesus to come. And so this morning to the young people and to the not-so-young people, my message to you is simply that you were created with a purpose in mind. And if you don't believe me, then I'll ask you to turn with me to Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, um, I invite you to turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter 1. It is up on the screen. It will be if you don't have your Bible. So this is for our young people, okay? Jeremiah was young. He was probably 16 years old, if I remember correctly, maybe even younger. Okay, so this is right in our age range, right? He would have been in high school if high school existed back then. And this is what it says. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I, Jeremiah, says, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to him, Do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. So I want to pause there. What it says is, Before you were formed, God knew you. Now, if you're like me, some of you will say, no, 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 this is God talking to Jeremiah, a prophet of the Lord with a very specific purpose, so this can't be for me. But if God knew who Jeremiah was before Jeremiah was even conceived and even born, then I think it's, it's okay for us to believe that God actually knows you and everyone before you were born. And so God's making a statement. You know, maybe your parents weren't planning you but it doesn't mean that you were an accident. Because what we find in this scripture is that before you were even thought of, before your parents even knew each other, God already knew, somehow God in his infinite wisdom and power and knowledge knew that you would come into this world. And I truly believe that just as God had a purpose for Jeremiah, God has a purpose for every one of us. Before I formed you, I knew you. And then it says, and before you were born, I consecrated you. So I was having this discussion with my 15-year-old son yesterday in the car, and um, because they don't always come to church here because they have their own community of faith, which I am fine with, and I applaud that, so they get my sermons throughout the week, (laughs) you know, because I'm not going to not preach to them. I'm sure they love it. But I was having this conversation with him in the car. I made him go with me on this longer drive because I had to go to the store to buy this specific thing, and so I started talking to him, and I kind of shared this passage with him, And he asks, but what does consecrated mean? Because that's not a word that we use. And I try to explain to him that to be consecrated is that God has set you apart. He has chosen you. He has has created you in such a way, and he has separated you. He has qualified you. He has given you what you need in order to accomplish the will and the purpose of God in this world. And he says, I I don't know if I I really accept that. And I was like, why? He goes, I don't know. 
And so as I started talking to him a little bit more, it kind of, well, the, the message that got across was that he didn't feel like he was all that significant or important in God's cosmic plan. Like, what is he, a 15-year-old boy, going to do in such a big universe? And it's interesting because he, he was going to, I'm just sharing with you guys, he was going to a private school, um, but as some of you know, private education can get very pricey. And so there was a new high school that opened up, and so we decided that we would send him there. And I said, you know, in some ways, maybe just you being who you are will be a witness to some of your other friends, because now the mission field has just grown exponentially for you. There's no witnessing to be done in an, on an Adventist high school. Most people are Adventists already. And yet now he has been placed in a position where he can now minister and witness to God, to his friends, maybe not in words, because he's a little shy when it comes to that kind of stuff, but just by the way that he lives his life. God created you, and he set you apart because he has a purpose and a plan for your life, just as he did for Jeremiah. Now, for Jeremiah, he says, I appointed you a prophet over the nations. Now, how many of you are prophets in here? I don't know if you think you might be prophets, but how many of you has God said you're a prophet? Not, I, I'm not a prophet. But what we find is that if he had a specific job and a role for Jeremiah, then I truly believe with all of my heart that God has a plan and a purpose for every one of you. Now, maybe you're not supposed to be a prophet, but maybe you're supposed to be a mother. Maybe you're supposed to be a high-powered executive that is going to influence the way you run your business and help other people. Maybe you are called to be a doctor or a psychologist. Maybe God has called you to be a mechanic because we all need mechanics. Amen? I can't fix my cars. <laughs> Maybe God needs you to be a stay-at-home mom. Maybe God needs you to be a school teacher. Whatever it is, God has a plan and a purpose for you, and he wants you to be a part of what he's already created because it says that before you were even born, God has already wanted something for you. And we use the story of Jeremiah because all of a sudden we're reminded that our lives are not just for us to fulfill ourselves with what, you know, are those, what we want right at the moment, but that our lives are worth so much more than just filling ourselves with entertainment and distractions. Jesus creates you to do something meaningful in this world. And sometimes we allow ourselves to get in the way of God's plan in our lives. Now, that's kind of scary, right? I don't want to say, hey, if you miss out on God's plan from the beginning, you're going to miss out altogether. I don't believe that either. I think that as long as you're open to the Lord leading you, God will lead, will lead you down the right path no matter where you are. Now, if you don't believe me, I invite you to open to Proverbs chapter 3 or read along with me. Proverbs chapter 3, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own insights. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Purpose is about trusting that God wants the best for you. I would even say this. God wants the very best for you more than you want the best for yourself. Amen? So sometimes what we think this is what we want this is what will make us happy. This is what will fulfill us. This right here, this thing that I want, that I'm praying for, that I'm crying over, that I'm just torn up about, this thing that I want, sometimes we think is the best, but God, who sees beyond just our current situation, knows that perhaps it's not the very best. And so we have to learn to put our entire trust in the Lord. That's not easy, is it? 
Is it easy to trust the Lord in everything? No. It's not easy to trust God. Not because he is not trustworthy, not because he can't be trusted, but because it's hard for us as humans who we have to do everything for ourselves. We, ha- we have to be in control. It's hard for us to surrender that control. How many of you have ever said the prayer, God, this is what I want, but whatever your will is, let that be what happens. How many of you have ever really prayed that prayer? I find that prayer extremely difficult and troublesome. Because sometimes what we have to go through in life can be painful. Now, I'm not saying that God drags us through painful situations. I don't believe that at all. I believe in a second you'll see that God will use any and every circumstance that we find ourselves in. If we're open to God, he'll make it for the good. But I don't for a second believe that God drags you through that pain. That, that God drags you through the abuse or through the difficulties in life. I don't believe that at all, and I don't believe the Bible teaches that. But I do believe that God will use all things for the good for those who love him. Romans actually says that. Romans chapter, I have it right here. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says that, oh, I don't have it in here. That God works, what, what is it? God works, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord are called according to his purpose trust the lord with all your might with all your strength and he will make your path straight it's not an easy prayer to pray but at the end of the day it's all that we have because we cannot see beyond tomorrow i can't even see beyond what's going to happen an hour from now I, i mean i can't even see what's happening beyond this very moment but if you trust in god you will ultimately know that your faith is in the god who wants the very best for you this is the God who has purposed you and has put a plan in, 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 um, in your heart and in your mind so that you will live to the fullest of life. Jesus says that he comes to give us life and have it more abundantly. That means life here on this earth. And so if Jesus has said that, then God will, will be faithful to his promise, and God will, if we trust him, lead us down the straight path. Now, there's an illustration that I want to show you. How many, how many of your guys' lives is perfect? How, mu- how much of your life, yeah, little kids should raise their hands. Um, for how many of you has your life just been flowing smoothly with no, with no bumps and no obstacles? No, right? So I want to share with you a story that I read in the, in the news just yesterday, actually. I know, it's, it's a sports analogy, sorry if you're not into sports. But we all know who this is, right? We should all know who this is, because I've brought this guy up like three times. It's Tim Tebow. Yeah, now you know the Tebow. He kneels down and prays and all that. Christian guy, very outspoken Christian athlete. Um, He set records in high school. He set records in college. He took his team, I think, to the national championship twice in college. Um, And then he's been playing in the NFL for the last several years. He's not a very good quarterback in the NFL. So in in the professional football league, even though his position says that he's a quarterback, what, what all of the experts and analysis and coaches have said is he's not, his, he doesn't have the technique that he needs in order to succeed and lead a team in the football, in National Football League, okay? That's, that's what's happening. So he was with one team. He did better than the guy he replaced, but they still got rid of him because they had an opportunity to get an even better quarterback. You can't blame a team for doing that. That's, it's a business. It's a sport. So he gets traded to this other team, right, the New York Jets. 
And there, you know, he still maintains his Christian persona, you know, his character. He's a man of integrity. One of the things that he does be, at, before every single game, even the games he didn't play in, um, he would invite children with some sort of terminal disease, and he would bring their, fly their families out, let them sit in a special room, watch the game, and then right after the game, he would go there. You know, he would hang out with them. He would pray with them. He would do that before the game and right after the game. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever played sports, but if you lose, you're pretty upset. You don't want to go be nice to somebody. Yet this guy, win or lose, whether he played or not, his sole purpose was to go and make that child and their family's experience the very best that it could be. A few weeks ago, he got cut from the New York Jets, and now he's having a hard time finding somewhere to go. Now, this is a guy who um, Forbes.com just last week released a survey as the most influential athlete in the United States. But yet he doesn't play for a professional team. He has had such an impact and has been so influential that what you have found is that people in other sports have started coming out and saying that they are Christians and giving honor and glory to God for the skills that they have been given. And what you often find in athletes is that they'll say, you know, God has given me the skill set and this ability to play at this level, and I want to honor God by doing the best that I can. This guy, however, he might have said that, but this is what else he says as a result of not knowing where he's going to play, if he's going to play anywhere this year. He says, I don't know what the future holds, but at the end of the day, I know who holds my future. That's scary. This guy's unemployed. Yeah, I'm sure he's made millions. I get that. But he's unemployed. Nobody wants him. And then he goes on to say this. It's a huge honor in response to being the most influential athlete. He says, I see it as a great responsibility to be a role model for future generations. That's something I care about more than winning football games. If I can take the game of football and can transcend, if I can take the game of football and transcend football, go into hospitals and ki make kids smile, I'll be doing things that really matter. What I want to do with my life is impact lives. When a kid is in a hospital fighting for his life, I'm trying to win football games. He says, what, what, what between that really matters? So he's saying winning a football game is not that important. This game isn't as important as a lot of us make it out to be. If I can give this guy or child a little bit of hope, I can do something that matters. That's what I want my legacy to be about. That's how I want to be remembered. He doesn't say I want to be remembered as the best comeback quarterback or the best quarterback or the best, you know, player. He says, I want to be known for having made a difference in the lives of my kids, of, of children all around. His purpose, even though he can play the game, he could probably play a number of other positions on a football team and get a job. Actually, other teams have offered. He could do all of that, but he says, what really is important and what really matters is that I can make a difference in the life of the kid. And basically, he says, if I can do that, then I know that I will have succeeded with what God has given me. He has purpose. His purpose is to pour out his life on behalf of others. So young people, I would go to this one more. I have two more texts, but mostly just this one, where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. We go back to Jeremiah. Before I formed you, before you were created, before you were conceived, I knew you, I consecrated you, and I had a purpose for you. And Jesus said, and God says, trust me with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul, and I will lead you down what he says, the straight path, which is, a way, which is a biblical way of saying, I will lead you down the very best path. And he says, and if you do that, 
you will be the salt of the earth. To be salt is to make everything more flavorful. Salt in certain food makes it better. And what Jesus says here on his very first teaching, in his very first sermon, as Jesus sits down, he says, you are salt. You are the salt of the earth. I have created you, I have purposed you, and I have set a plan in your life for you to be salt, just as Jeremiah was, just as Isaiah was, just as Ezekiel was. You are salt, you are light. Live as though that is true. Though I am coming and Jesus is coming and he will renew all things and make things better, but until then he is calling you and I to be salt. And if I have one more slide, I'm going to read that. And then this is the one for everyone here. In Jesus' first sermon, he goes on and he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. But the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. This isn't talking about eternity in heaven with God. This is talking about today. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. And the reason for that is because we can allow all of the negative things in our lives to get in the way of trying to follow and go through that one gate that God is leading us through. Work can be stressful. Relationships can be painful. Illnesses can get in the way. I mean, there is all sorts, financial hardship. There is all sorts of things in our lives that can get in the way of allowing us to live the life at its fullest. And so what ends up happening, and for young people, listen up, what ends up happening, and I can say this to you because you're young and you still have your whole future ahead of you, what ends up happening is that we begin to settle for things that are good enough instead of striving for things that are truly great. Most people will settle for good enough. Very few will strive for the things that are truly great. My daughter is debating where she's going to go to college. Um, La Sierra University is, is probably her first choice, but it's expensive. Even with pastoral discounts, it's still really expensive. So it's either there or one other college. And so she's stressing, and she just doesn't know what to do. So, you know, we tell her, pray about it and all that. But at the end of it, I said, listen, you're young. You're going to be 18 years old. If you start at one school and you decide, just I just don't like it, I'm not feeling it, it's one semester, it's one quarter, you can redirect and go to the next place. I said, you always have the ability to make decisions to make your life better and to improve it. Young people, I'm telling you now, you have been given the gift of your youth right now. You have your entire lives ahead of you. And you can make all of the best choices to strive for the truly great, to strive to go down the path that God is leading you down. Don't settle for good enough. Because the only people that will suffer from that is you. And ultimately, the world will suffer because you are not reaching your maximum potential. Now, a word to the not-so-young in this congregation, including myself. I don't count myself as that young anymore. It's not over for you. Every single day, you have the ability to make choices that will either lead you down the path that God is leading you or to go any other way. As adults, you have no excuses. You've lived life. You know what works and you know what doesn't work. You know when you have followed Lord's way and you know when you have drifted apart from God's path. You know that. You should know that if you're an adult. 
But now the option is that every single morning you surrender your life to God. It does, uh, by the way, it doesn't mean like you leave your job or you leave your husband or wife <laughs> or whatever. I'm not saying that. You're in the position where you are and God will, God will honor you and God will bless you in whatever situation you're in. Amen? God is gracious, all right? He's not going to punish you because you made a decision that probably wasn't the best one. But what you do is you, you wake up every single morning and before you do anything else, even while you're lying in bed, you surrender your life to Jesus and you say, whatever your will is, may it be done in my life, however painful and however difficult it might be, I pray that I would die to myself and that you would lead me down the path that you need me to go down. So whether it is to minister to your husband or your wife or to your children or to minister to the people um, that are in your workplace or to minister to people that work with you, whatever it is, God still has a purpose for you. And if you feel like you've missed out on God's purpose, I guarantee you that just like our GPS reroutes, God will also reroute the purpose in your life. Because all God needs is people who are willing to follow his lead. And so this morning, young people and not so young people, my charge, my, my, my encouragement, my prayer for you is that you would learn to listen to God's plan in your life, his purpose. Oh, be open to the fact that God is leading you. And once he shows you, I encourage you to follow that. Because if you don't, the only people who are going to truly miss out is you. Will you pray with me? God, we, um, we don't feel like Jeremiah. We don't feel like prophets. But God, I pray that you would silence those voices of dissension in our head, the negativity, the haters. And we pray that we would learn to listen only to your voice, to your will, that we would live into it, and that we would follow the path that you have set before us, that we might be a part of the greatest story ever told. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.